The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. So Nehemiah, he's faced some external opposition. Uh, if, you're, if you haven't been with us through this series, here's a guy that God has used, is using. He's felt a call from God. He's seen a divine vision. His, his life has intersected with the divine vision and call of God to go back to his homeland. He's in exile in, in the city of uh, a nation of Babylon. He goes back to Jerusalem because the city is um, lying in ruins and the, the walls have been destroyed. And so his mission is to go back and rebuild the walls. And he's received permission from the Babylonian government to go do such things. The king has granted him uh, that permission, has funded the, the actual mission to go and do it, has given him permission to cut lumber from the king's forest. And so he has things in place. He goes and he begins to uh, start the construction and he faces the external opposition of a couple of guys who have just gotten a bunch of people in the area and the region stirred up to come against and try to frighten the people from moving forward. And so he's navigated through that and we'll see that he faces even more opposition. And we learned last week that whenever you're seeking to live your life for the Lord and your life aligns and and intersects with divine vision and you're like, I'm going to get on mission for the Lord, and you start getting serious about that, you will begin to experience opposition in your life. There's external opposition that comes from uh, without that people will begin to discourage you. Sometimes they don't even realize they're discouraging you. But there's always a spiritual force at work behind the scenes that is manipulating situations and using all kinds of stuff to get us to focus on anything but accomplishing God's vision for our lives. And so we have to be aware of the fact that as we get in pursuit of the Lord, that there's going to be opposition. Like if you, if you begin to have a divine vision and you see the vision that God has for your marriage and family, then you can expect that there's going to be some opposition that will show up in some different ways. If you, if you decide I'm going to be the kind of parent who teaches my kids about faith, not just takes them to church, drops them off, but I'm going to try to model for them what it means to follow Jesus, you can expect that there's going to be some external opposition. If you're going to be an employee at work that tries to lead like Jesus, you can expect some opposition. Anytime your life intersects with divine vision, there will be external opposition. But you might be surprised to learn that there will also be internal opposition. Things that happen even from your own self, inside of your own psyche, that you will have to battle yourself. Paul calls it the war within. He talks a lot about it, um, the war within our souls in Romans chapter 7. That he battles against doing things that he doesn't want to do and not doing things that he does want to do. And there's just internal conflict. But then there's also the internal struggle that people within the context of maybe where we're trying to lead or who we're trying to lead, what we're trying to accomplish, we'll see that there will be sometimes internal opposition that happens in the midst of that. So today we see um, in the Bible the first strike, the first union, the first workers, the first laborers to go on strike and they just quit working. 
And so we find the story in Nehemiah chapter 5, and what I want us to do today is I just want us to read through the story so we can see it, and I'll give you a a little bit of introduction about what we've read, and we'll jump right in, and I'm going to share some things that I think are extremely applicable to your life, your career, your mission, your vision for your your family, your work, whatever whatever it may be that you feel like God has asked you to do. So beginning in verse 1, it says, Now the men and their wives... And this is talking about the Israelites as they're building. They've made it halfway. Now the men and their wives, you better look out with that one, bro. Like, if it was just the men, it's one thing. But when it's the men and their wives, man, that means the men have been getting hammered by the wives and things are changing right now. Can I get an amen, fellas? That's what I'm talking about right there. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their Jewish brothers. And some were saying, we... And our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. And others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we've had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards, although we are of the same flesh and blood as our countrymen, and though our sons are as good as theirs, Yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. Like, okay, so this is really important. I want you to key in on this because I'm not going to spend a lot of time uh, teaching this, but it's an important principle. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. A lot of times we find out things. We find out um, about uh, injustices. We find out about things that we know just are not right. Maybe how somebody's even treating us, and we get very angry. And here's a guy who we know is following the Lord, and he is very angry. But notice what he does next in verse 7. I pondered them in my mind. Like, just because he was angry, he didn't have an emotional outburst and respond. He took some time to think. He took some time to, like, what does this mean? To analyze the situation, to get his emotions in check so that he could communicate. And so he gets his motion, emotions in check by pondering what was happening. So I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are exacting usury from your own countrymen. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have, brought, we have bought back our Jewish brothers who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your brothers only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they couldn't, could find nothing to say. Now that's good when you, when you accuse someone and your defense and your accusation is so strong, it is so right, it is not emotionally charged, it has been soaked in prayer, that the person that you're accusing has no response at all. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So, I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, But let the exacting of usury stop. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the usury that 
you are charging them the hundredth part of the money, grain, new wine, and oil. So the people responded. The nobles and officials responded and said, we will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, In this way may God shake out of his house and possessions every man who does not keep this promise. So may such a man be shaken out and empty. And at this the whole assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. And so we look at this and we see... Um, what, what, what is going on here? Like, what, ha- what happens that forces this, this experience where they, ha- they quit working? Nehemiah has a problem that, that he's having to deal with. Well, Nehemiah, we look at is that the people couldn't work on the wall and their businesses simultaneously. So a guy shows up from out of town. He comes back in. He says, listen, God has called me to rebuild the walls, and I'm going to need your help. He gets everybody fired up. They see that God is in it. And so they're not able to work in their businesses and on the wall simultaneously. So they have to kind of put their lives on hold in order to advance the mission of God. It reminds me of in passing where Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of heaven, and all these other things shall be added unto you. Is that God will take care of things when we put him first. And they were kind of modeling that as they laid down their responsibilities for a period of time, for a season, so that they could get this wall reconstructed around their city. So they couldn't work on the wall and their businesses simultaneously, and this created a huge problem. Um, There was a famine going on. Already it was hard to get grain, but now they were having a difficult time because they didn't have money. And so the problem was is that they had to, um, the workers are hungry And they had to mortgage their homes and their properties and their farms in order to be able to purchase food. Not only that, King Artaxerxes, who is the person who uh, is in in charge of the uh, entire region back in Babylon and who's given uh, Nehemiah permission to go. Remember, Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. He's not an Israelite, but he controls the entire region because they're under siege by, by him. Like he's... He's one of the people who has overcome the country, the, the Israelites themselves. And so he's demanding a tax. It's just a tax that comes around uh, annually. And so in order to pay their tax, they had to sell their kids to pay the, uh, the bills. And, and, and it went against everything that the officials, the nobles and the officials were doing, went against the laws of usury or the laws of, of loaning money out for interest. And so let's talk about that for a minute. Nehemiah comes into town, and, and the people, like, they're in disarray. He's got to have workers, and no doubt he had a bankroll. And we learn, as we read this, is that he purchases from the Gentiles the Jewish, some of the Jewish people back. In other words, they, they had gotten such a, in such a desperate situation in their lives economically that they had to sell themselves to Gentiles who lived in the region in order to have the cash necessary to sustain themselves. So Nehemiah comes back and he meets with some of the people who had, had, had purchased the rights to the Israelites that were in bondage because they sold themselves to them. And he buys them back. So he buys them back, he, he purchases back their freedom. And, and they go to work on the wall. 
Well, the nobles and the officials are looking at this as an opportunity as the wall is being constructed and the people don't have food. They're kind of going about it the same way that they've always gone about it. And so they go to the nobles and the officials and they're like, yeah, I'll loan you some money, but let me you know, sign here on the dotted line for your vineyard, your, fa- your farm. So the very people, some of the very people that Nehemiah purchased the freedom from the Gentiles for, from, for he, he, so he purchases their freedom from the Gentiles they're, the Jews are buying them back. These uh, Roman or these Jewish officials and nobles are purchasing them again so that they can function. And, and so they're going against the very law of God. In Exodus chapter 22, verse 25, God told through, uh, to, to Moses, he said, this is the way I want you to function, my people to function. If you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not treat it like a business deal charge no interest. Now, does that mean that, that we are to never loan money and charge interest and we are never to borrow money at interest? That's not what it means. What it means is for the nation of Israel, when they were going through a difficult time, the chosen people of God, and they were helping each other as the family of God, they were not to charge each other interest. If they loaned to somebody outside, it was fine to charge interest. And so he's saying, whenever you're navigating through problems and you're going through a difficult time and you're helping each other out in in very needful situations, don't take advantage of each other. Come to the aid of someone and help them, but don't charge interest to them. And so Nehemiah is angry because they are disobeying God's law. And they are selling each other for profit, for gain. They're trying to acquire and take advantage of the situation among their own brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so he, he puts a stop to it and he says, listen, what you're doing is not right. He, he thinks it through. He takes some time to ponder it, how he's going to uh, um, um, approach it. And the Lord shows him how they're violating and being disobedient and rebelling against God. And so then he brings accusations in a public meeting. So he calls them all together in public, and he brings out these accusations. He says, it's not right. You guys need to have a healthy fear of God. You're not walking in a healthy fear of God, and that's why you're doing this. And, and you read through the, the passage that I read, and you'll see that. And so what, how do the people respond? They're speechless. They're speechless because they know that they are not walking in, the fear, in a healthy fear of God, and so they don't have anything to say. So they say, Nehemiah says, you need to stop this. You need to pull together. You need to give the people back their land. Quit taking advantage of them. Let's all pull together. Let's get this mission accomplished. So they agreed. He had them take an oath. And then they started building again. And so this happened all as a result of people sinning. And what we need to understand about sin is that it follows us like a shadow. Whenever we engage in sin, we may think that things are fine, but the truth of the matter is it's always following us like a shadow. Now, when we become followers of Jesus and we surrender our lives to Christ and we're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we are are fully redeemed in the eyes of God. So our soul that was broken and lost is fixed and found. But we still live in a fallen flesh. And so our soul that is inside of our flesh is still under the influence of the flesh that is prone to sin. And so we sing old songs like, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And so 
here's the thing is when we get saved, we do still sin. Now, we should not have a sinful nature in, the, in our souls and in, in the work that what God has done inside of us. We don't love sin anymore. Like before you're saved, you sin and you love it. After you're saved, you sin and you hate it. Like that's what should happen to you when you're born again. You no longer enjoy sin. So when sin is presented in your life and you recognize it, you realize it, what you want to do is you want to repent of it and make sure that you're dealing with it. Now, I say all that to say we still struggle with sin after we become followers of Jesus. It's just a constant struggle. That doesn't mean that we should just throw caution to the wind and, and just say, well, I, you know, I'm just a lowly old sinner. I can't do anything about it. That's not what the New Testament teaches. And it teaches that we're to struggle against it. And so how do we deal with sin if it is following us around like a shadow? I think we can look at this story, and just very quickly before I get into the, the heart of the message, is we can use Nehemiah's approach against sin in our lives. Now remember our theme is Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. And the prophet is saying to the Israelites, for I know... The plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, this prophecy came to the Jews as they were in bondage and they uh, were living in Babylon. And he goes on to say in the prophecy that he will gather them back together. And so Nehemiah is kind of living that out. So we look at this and we say, well, okay, how does that apply to my life? Well, God, as he looks at his people today, and, and the gospel has been opened up to the Gentile world. That's all of us. It's not just for Israelites anymore. It's for anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. And so as God looks down at us and, and we receive that, that transforming power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and we become followers of Jesus, then God looks down upon us and his plan is to prosper us. Now, That doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to prosper us financially and we're going to become wealthy individuals. I think it does mean that he will prosper us, that our needs will be met and will be taken care of, and and he wants his people taken care of. And as we seek his kingdom, he's going to take care of us financially. But he's also going to prosper us spiritually in the health of who we are. Down in the psyche of our soul, Jesus' whole mission was to make a human being complete. And so as the prophecy comes to us and we look at it, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in a future, we can say, okay, as I align my life with the divine vision of God, he has a plan to prosper me and give me a hope and a future. He has no desire to harm me. So it is in my best interest to listen to his voice and not rebel against him, which is what sin is. Like if you look up the definition or, or, or the root of what sin is, it comes from the Greek, Greek word harmatia, and it means to fall short. And so anytime we are falling short of God's will for our lives and we're not giving heed to what he's asking us to do, we're sinning. Now, what we like to do is we like to say, well, sin is these things here that are not socially accepted And if I avoid these things on this list, I'm not sinning. Well, that's not accurate. Like, that's healthy. Like, there are things that you should avoid. And if you participate in them, you may be sinning. But there are also things that 
You could just be sinning because God is asking you to do something and you're not doing it. And you're just ignoring the voice of God, just like these people were charging the interest to their brothers and sisters in Christ and they were taking advantage of them. They were sinning. They were rebelling against what God had designed them to do. And so Nehemiah uses a strategy to call them out and deal with it. And I think it's a strategy we can use when we recognize sin is in our life. And here's the first thing. You have to determine to stop it. Like verse 10, he says, stop exacting. So when um, you have sin in your life and you recognize sin, the first step to dealing with sin is just to stop. You have to just take a pause here and go, wait a minute, I'm sinning. I've got to recognize it and I've got to stop doing it. The second thing is you have to make plans to correct it. Verse 11 says, give back. So not only stop doing what you're doing, but give back what you've done. In other words, if there's somebody maybe that um, you, have, you have sinned by hurting them and you have not asked for their forgiveness, giving back in that case would be, would you please forgive me? And so you go and you give back and you ask them to forgive you. It could be the other way around. You could be sinning because you're not offering forgiveness to someone. And so to give back might be that you give them forgiveness in a particular situation. Then the third thing is you declare your plans. Verse 12, he made them go public with an oath to God. And so he said, look, you're gonna, I hear that you say that you won't do it anymore, but I'm calling the priests in. You're going to understand the seriousness of the situation. You're going to take an oath before God. So they did that. Now, what's the takeaway for us? I think it's good for us when we're struggling with sin to sometimes make it public with someone else. Sometimes we need to make it public maybe with more people. Maybe we go public and say, hey, I feel like God is calling me to do such and such. I've never done it, and so I'm going to go public with my church and say, I know God is calling me to do this. I want you to hold me accountable to accomplish what God is asking me to do. That might be a larger scale of when, how we go public and hold ourselves accountable. But sometimes it might be something more private. We're, we're struggling with um, something that, that maybe some purity, and, and we don't. it's not something we're going to open up and stand in front of the entire church and say. It's something more that I need a brother or two to come around me and say, listen, Listen, man, I'm struggling with this. I need to go public with you so that you can help me navigate through it. And that's how we navigate through our sin is we help each other by holding each other accountable and not judging someone when they're struggling with a particular sin, but helping them. And then fourth, you realize the seriousness of your vow to God. He tells them in verse 13, he shakes out his garment and he says, listen, if you don't keep your promise to God, may you be shaken out of the kingdom of God the same way that I'm shaking this dust out of my, my cloak. And so they understood the consequences. Now we look at all that and we see, okay, when there's a formula here, and it, you could find it in the New Testament as well, but it's just interesting about how Nehemiah dealt with it, and he used this and how we can lay it over our lives and we could do the same thing to deal with sin in our lives. But the question becomes, how was Nehemiah able to get the people to respond? Like, he just says, hey, this is what you're doing. He's very angry. He understands what's going on. He thinks about it a little bit. He says, this is what you're doing. It's not right. You don't have any fear of God. And the people don't even argue with him. <laughs> That's a miracle, right? Like, when you go public with somebody and they don't, they don't argue with you and they just fall in step and they were ready to correct, the question must be asked, how was he so effective? The answer is he had moral authority. He had moral authority with these people. He, he had moral authority because he knew how to handle prosperity. He knew how to handle a promotion. Now, as we dive into this part of the sermon, and I'm going to give you a few things today, 
There is not a more applicable message that could be preached in Johnson County than the one I'm about to preach. Because you are, like we live in an area where there are a lot of people who are type A driven people who are leaders. And you're being used in a special way maybe where you work. We're all leading people in some fashion or another. We're leading in some capacity even if we boil it all the way down to our friendships. But some of us are even leading um, at, at, a, at a grander scale, if you will. We have more responsibility. Why do we have more responsibility? Because hopefully God has been prospering us and he can trust us. And so he's increasing our responsibility and allowing us to advance in his kingdom and accept more and more uh, responsibility for what he wants us to do. So he, he, had, he knew, Nehemiah knew how to handle a promotion. Remember, he's cupbearer to the king. Well, now he comes into this region and he becomes a governor of the entire region. So what does he do? Well, we first of all look in verse 14, and it says, so we see in verses 1 through 13, this was the problem. The people went on strike. Nehemiah calls them out. They um, repent of the situation, and they make a decision not to do it anymore, and they move on forward, and they start building the wall. In verses 14 through 19, we see in Nehemiah's memoirs, we see how he viewed why this was able to happen for him so easily. And in verse 14, it says, Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until his 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. That's really important. Here's the first thing. Nehemiah didn't take advantage of his position. When Nehemiah was promoted... He did not take advantage of his position. And when you are promoted, it will bring special privileges in your life. If you go from managing um, five people to managing 50 people, you can just guarantee that your privileges are going to go from here to here. Like when I went from being a youth minister to being a pastor, my privileges shifted like overnight. And I realized it immediately. I remember when I was 29, I was walking through the gym of the church I was pastoring. And, I, I, you know, I've been pastoring under this pastor for, for like four years. And so everything that I was doing, I was going back to him and saying, hey, how does this sound? And, and we were working together, and he was responsible. And I remember walking through the kitchen of the gym and looking over at the coffee pot, and it was a five-burner coffee pot. And I looked at it, and I felt the pressure of, like, I'm even responsible for that piece of equipment. And it was like, man, everything in here, if I say we, we need to sell that, we need to fix that, we need to buy a new one, and I felt the weight of the privileges of the position, like what happened. And so you, you feel that pressure and all the privileges that come with it. You, you generally, if the more people you lead, the greater your expense account. And so you look at all of these different areas uh, that are available to you, and so promotions bring special privileges, and if you're going to be able to handle prosperity, you have to be able to use them, not abuse them. Okay, so easy for you to get promoted at work and just function just like everybody else functions. But that's not why you're being promoted. If you really have a divine vision for your life, you will recognize that even in your career, as you receive a promotion, God is enlarging your territory, and he wants to use you in greater ways. It's not just about you making more cash so you can have more stuff. It's about the kingdom of God and God in increasing you, and he wants to use you even in your place of em employment. And here's something to, to keep in mind. The private life of the promoted is always under attack. 
And the higher you go in climbing the ranks, the more severe the attack is going to be in your life. The devil, like he delights in bringing people down. And so you need to understand that, hey, man, as you're promoted, you need to understand that that you're going to face a lot more spiritual opposition and attack in your life. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Look at verse 15. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to the food and wine. Their assistants also lorded over the people. Here's the second thing. Um, Nehemiah didn't carry on corruption. Even though the predecessors did, he didn't do what his predecessors did. Now, he could have, and nobody would have questioned it. Like he, he could have done just like the other guys. He could have demanded that they give a little bit extra cash. He could have padded his wallet. He could have done just like his predecessor did and followed the same policies. But what Nehemiah did was change the policies to reflect the heart of God and someone who feared God. And the people recognized it. The people recognized, hey, this governor, isn't, he isn't making it harder on us. He isn't making it easier on himself. He's looking at the mission, and he's doing all that he can to make sure that the mission is accomplished. Under the pressure of other people, listen, you will be pressured by others even who know how the system worked, works to, to bend and do like something that would be even beneficial to them. But as we look at Nehemiah under pressure, the only thing that bent in his life was his knees. And that, was, that should be what bends in our lives. As God prospers us and enlarges our territory and he gives us more responsibility, the only thing that should bend about us is that we get down on our knees before God and pray for wisdom that we would, we would represent him, we would honor him, we would bring him glory. Here, here's the third thing. It's found in, in verses 16 and 17. It says that instead... I devoted myself, and so instead of taking advantage of the people, I devoted myself to the work of this wall, on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 uh, Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who come to us or came to us from the surrounding nations. The third thing is that Nehemiah focused on the project instead of his popularity. When you, when you begin to ascend and are promoted in anything, it doesn't matter if it's the PTO. Like you're going from, hey, you're having to organize the spirit wear to now you're the president of the PT, parent-teacher organization, which is a big deal around here, right? <laughs> those are serious around here, man, what, what those organizations do. They do a great job. So it doesn't matter. But when it, when, whenever that happens, you got to stay focused on the project instead of the popularity. Promotions always involve projects. You're being promoted in order to accomplish a project. And so here's where the battle comes in. Because of the promotion, your ego will be fed and people are going to look up to you. And the popularity can be the very thing that brings you down. Nehemiah had 150 Jews that ate with him every day plus a whole lot of other people that he doesn't name the number from the surrounding areas. When you look at the list of the food that they prepared, it would feed 800 people. 800 people a day. He was hosting a party for 800 people today. It's easy for a person who is promoted and prosperous to take on the position of I'm the man. Okay? 
It would have been so easy for Nehemiah to do that. But he didn't. He didn't even force the other people to pay for the events that he was hosting. He was bankrolling it himself. And he sees that as a reason as to why he was able to motivate the people. And then we go on. We see the next thing is in um, the latter part of 18. As he mentions all the food. And then he says, um, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Like, he was allotted. Like, he could have demanded the people help pay for this. It would have been, everyone would have been okay with it. None of the Jews would have complained and said, this is not right, because they would have recognized that somehow we got to finance this. But even though Nehemiah could have, have done that, he didn't do it. And so what do we see? Nehemiah was sensitive to the people's needs, and he recognized that this would have been the wrong decision to make. And so he backed off, and he didn't demand it. And so we, we have to understand is that promotions affect people. As you're promoted in any organization, in any career, as you are promoted, it affects the people around you. It affects the person who didn't get the promotion. It affects how you're going to treat them. And I hope and I pray to God that the people of OPCC aren't people who, when they're promoted, they burn the other person who doesn't, doesn't get promoted. It should be an opportunity for us to welcome them into the fold and not be intimidated by them and use wisdom as we even are responsible to lead them. Whoever it is around us, when we're promoted, they are affected by it. They are affected by our leadership and how we make decisions at work, how we decide to uh, allocate resources for them to accomplish the, the mission that, that they've been discharged with accomplishing, how we help them do their job and not just demand on them. them. And so we see this is what Nehemiah is doing is he is caring for the people. He didn't lord it over them, and he didn't use them. He cared for them. And so if we're going to be people that God can look at and prosper and enlarge our territory and promote us, we have to care about people and not use people to get ahead, which is what a lot of people do in this world. You say, but you don't understand, Jimmy. You don't understand corporate America. And I would say to you, yes, I do. I've been in corporate America. But before I came here, that's what I did. And I would say back to you is you don't understand the God that you say you believe in. Like when we say that we believe in the Lord, he is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is the Lord of the place of our employment, regardless of whether people acknowledge it or not. He holds the heart of the, of the king in his hand. He holds your, your boss can be an atheist, but he is God's atheist. Like, like he, God holds the heart of the entire world. It doesn't matter who they are. He holds it in his hand. And so as we are following, we can trust that as we care for people's needs and we don't become just like everyone else, that God will take care of us. Here, here's the next thing. Verse 15 says, the latter part of verse 15 says, the reason that he didn't lord it over the people is but, um, but out of reverence for God, I did not act like that, is that Nehemiah revered God. What does this mean? It's like a holy fear. Like Nehemiah lived in, in this holy, healthy place that he revered and feared God so much that it impacted the way that he lived his life. His walk with the Lord was more important than anything else. And so he had a fear of God that kept him from indulgence. His fear of God kept him from indulging what he, in what he had a right to. He recognized that it wasn't the right thing to do, so that he didn't. So he didn't do it. Now, this does not mean that we can't have nice things, but it does mean that nice things can't have us. Okay, you can have nice things, 
But you can't get into a position as God is promoting you and prospering you where nice things have your heart. Your heart has to belong to the Lord. And Nehemiah revered God, and that's why we see that he was able to lead the people. Um, And then we see the final thing in verse 19. He says, I love this part. Remember me with favor, O my God, for all I have done for these people. Nehemiah invited and welcomed the searching of his heart. Like he invited God to search his heart and and he welcomed it. And this is such a great prayer to pray. And I'm reminded of uh, Psalm 139, 23 and and, uh, 24. David says this, and this is a good way for you to pray. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's one of the things I pray all the time. God, look into my heart. Like, just look into my heart, and as I lead your people at OPCC, see if there's any offensive and wicked thing in my life that is keeping you from advancing the will of God, your will here on the planet. Lord, search my heart. Look inside of me. Look in my heart, and if there's any obstacle to doing your will, take it away. So I would, I'd encourage you that as you, as you pray this week, it's like make it a, a routine of your, your prayer just to say, God, look in my heart. Look in there and see if there's anything in there. Now, a lot of us are scared to do that because we know God's going to see a lot, right? And that's the key. When we get honest with, and vulnerable with God and he's, we're saying, God, look in there. He already knows it's in there. We quit hiding from him. and We say, look in my heart. Look at my soul. What's there that needs to be removed? And God say, Jimmy, like, right there. Oh, Lord, I, I didn't even realize that. I'm sorry. And slowly those things get removed from my life, and the obstacles are out of the way, and God can do his work. And so here, here's, we look at this, and a lot of times we get demoted, and it's discouraging, right? Being demoted is hard, but being promoted is even harder. Because when you're demoted, then what happens is the adversity forces us to trust in God. But when we're promoted and have advancement, that advancement can fill us with pride. Look at me. Look at what I've been able to do. Everybody look at what I've done. So promotions are harder than demotions because they, they, they fill us with pride and they cause us to rely on ourselves rather than God. The people followed Nehemiah because he, test, he passed the test of prosperity. And so the big idea for you today is do I pass the test of prosperity? Because I look at my life, can I say indeed that I pass the test of prosperity in my life and that God can enlarge my territory. He can prosper me. I want to leave you um, with this, this verse. And we're not talking about your salvation here. Like if you're saved and you're in Christ, you're in Christ. We're talking about your walk. We're talking about God being able to use you. And the saddest thing on the planet is a person who says that they've been claimed by the Lord of the universe, but there's no activity of God in their lives. Like that just doesn't make sense. So this is why God says to us, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Listen, God has plans for you. 
<laughs> he's got plans for you. And as you connect with those plans and you start looking at your life and go, man, I'm going to line my life up with the divine vision of God, God's going to start moving and you're going to start feeling him increase your territory and you're going to start getting excited about what? Your faith, not your stuff, but your soul who you are down deep inside. And so all this stuff is not going to matter as much anymore because you're going to be connecting with the God of the universe, the one who's in charge of all the stuff. And that's when you're living on mission for God. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.